Yes, last week we began a new series on forgiveness. And as it just said there, we said that the great need, the great need in your life and in my life is for God's forgiveness. You know, we can say that and understand it, but boy, there's times it sure feels like some other needs are bigger, doesn't it? Especially when we go maybe through a time like January 1 and we're kind of looking at our life and evaluating our life. We think, man, if, if something were different here, if something changed here, if something got fixed in our finances, our marriage with a child, maybe there's a health issue. No, those are real issues, but they're not the big issue. Folks, it's God's forgiveness that becomes the path by which God takes up residence in our life. It's forgiveness that gives us the ability to have life in God. And with life in God, we then have access to His power. We have access to His wisdom. We have access to His love for taking on all of those other very real, very big issues in life. It's forgiveness that does that. Forgiveness is the great need. And folks, I would imagine in this room today, there are many in here who would say, I, I have that forgiveness I, I, I have that. I, I live that. And you know, folks, when, when we say that, I think often we're thinking about that big event. When I say we need to receive, we think about that big event. What, what a big event. That big event where we first trust in Christ, right? When we become a child of God, we're born again, we're forgiven of all of our sins. A lot of times when we hear that phrase, receiving God's forgiveness, we think of that. And I'm certainly referring to that. That's the kickoff. That's when, it, that's when it all begins. That's when it happens. But when I talk about receiving God's forgiveness, that being the great need in our life, I'm not talking about just a singular event, a singular moment in our life. I'm talking about daily. How we daily live under that forgiveness. How we daily rely on it, enjoy it. How we daily share it. Folks, believe it or not, it's that daily experience that's where peace comes from. That's where joy comes from. And are you ready for this? That's where power. There's power in knowing and living that forgiveness. Now I'd imagine across this room, many of us are going to say, I have that. that. That's happened in my life. I have it. Well, here's my question for you, for me this morning. Are we enjoying it? Are we experiencing the power that, that God's forgiveness is to give into our lives? You know, to help us kind of think through that and, and evaluate that, I want to use, a, I think, a pretty well-known story that Jesus told, a parable he told in Matthew 18. So grab your Bibles and, and open up to Matthew 18 with me. Matthew, first book in the New Testament. Zechariah, Malachi to the left of it. Mark and Luke to the right. That's kind of the neighborhood you're thumbing through right there. Matthew chapter 18. Yes, we have begun a series on forgiveness. It's not long. It's four messages. Uh, and today's message and next week's message are really one message. Really, today is part one, and, and next week is part two inside of this, this four-message series. They go together. Today, we're kind of going to get a, a big idea and then next week we're going to come back and look at some of the practical challenges and questions and the, and the how-tos of this big idea. But today our goal is the, the big idea. Let's look there, Matthew 18, and I want to begin reading in verse 21. Matthew 18, verse 21 says, Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? 
Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but seventy-seven times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him ten thousand talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have, have patience with me and I, I will pay you everything. And out of pity, out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, I mean, now folks, the way this reads, you would imply he's just walked out of the the king's house, the king's castle, the king's tent, I don't know, wherever he met the king. And literally moments later, the next part of this story unfolds. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii and seizing him, he began to choke him saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused and he went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. They went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. You know, folks, I think coming to Christ, becoming a follower of Jesus... It's about the best thing in the world. I hope I'm not the only one here who thinks that. And there's just a ton of benefits that come with that. I mean, when when you come to Christ, I mean, you have opportunity now to to relate with, to know the living God. As I said a moment ago, you have access to to things like His power and His wisdom. You have have His guidance. You have His protection. Uh, You just have the daily knowledge of knowing that you're loved. I mean, you just have all this that comes with Christ. There's no downsides to following Jesus. But boy, there's some tough assignments. There are some, no downsides, nothing bad, no, no ill side effect, but some tough assignments. Faith, witnessing, giving. You know, I mentioned these three because, because so many believers ignore them. Those are tough. I'm not going to do it. I don't trust God with those assignments. I don't, I don't trust why He gave those assignments. And because we ignore those assignments, man, we miss Everything that God has for us in them. You know, folks, when God issues what you and I might call a a tough command, a a, a tough assignment, we need to understand that when we pick that assignment up, when we obey that command, we're not enlarging God. We're we're not enriching God. These things that God says is not because he's trying to get something out of you. You and I have nothing God needs. Every command he issues, every tough assignment he gives comes from his love. And every bit of it is issued with you in mind, your good, your well-being. Now, the question comes, do I trust that God has my good in mind when he calls me to faith, tells me to witness, tells me to, to give? Do I trust that? And gosh, it seems like so many say, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ignore that. And some of these we can't ignore and 
Rarely does it come up other than maybe, you know, the pastor's up there raining and railing about it. But you know, there's one tough assignment. It doesn't matter if the pastor ever addresses it. It doesn't matter if we read something about it. We don't have to do anything at all. We can't ignore it. We can't leave it. Guilt and anger make sure of that. Folks, at the very heart of the Christian faith is this tough assignment. It's the assignment to forgive. The follower of Christ is absolutely, totally a person of forgiveness. Receiving it, living under it, as we said just a moment ago, giving it, giving it to others. And it seems from the story we just heard that to not be this, to not do so, brings about some pretty severe consequences. Now, when we hear about forgiving, just hear the word, a face comes to mind, doesn't it? A face, a person, a situation. And we, and we hear about somebody telling us to forgive that person. And I mean, it's our tendency to think, that's, that's not fair. That's, that's not right. That's not possible. Now, let's back up and, and just acknowledge reality for a moment. I'm going to make a statement. I don't think it'll be a newsflash to anybody. We hurt each other, don't we? Now, our tendency is to focus mostly on how we've been hurt. But folks, every person in this room has hurt somebody. And in most cases, somebody's. We hurt people and people hurt us. And, and God knows that. That's not news to God either. And God speaks to everything going on in our lives, gives us the guidance and how to navigate that. And if you look at the passage right before what I read, verses 15 to 17, you will see Jesus addressing that. He's talking about what we do when somebody sins against us, offends us, hurt us. And he literally gives a formula, three steps. Do this. If that doesn't bring about a result, do this. If that doesn't bring about the result, then do this. Here's the steps to take. And, and, and the formula in this case is primarily for believers. It's when believers hurt believers because, yeah, that happens too, even right here inside the church. And I know this passage is more aimed at believers because the church kind of gets in the center of how that, that resolution, that reconciliation is to take place. But there are other New Testament passages that talk about the, the formula, what we're supposed to do when it's people outside the church, when it's, it's unbelievers. So the, Jesus gives this formula, and I kind of laugh when I look at that formula. I think you would agree with me. Folks, if you look down there, do you realize we almost never do this? I mean, I mean, we almost never follow the formula that Jesus gave. I mean, the very first step of the formula is go to the person. No, no, I'm not, I'm not going to the person. Now, I will go to about 6, 10, 12 other people first. And I'll talk it up with them, okay? And I'll get them stirred up. Because by the way, when they get stirred up and they hate you as much as I hate you, then that justifies the sin in my life. That justifies my anger and my bitterness and, and, and the wrong way I'm handling this. So I'll go and talk it up with them. And boy, every time I tell the story, every time I lay in bed at night and work it over, I add adjectives and adverbs and, and it gets bigger. And all, all the time I'm doing this, I'm ignoring what Jesus... No, this is what... You, here's the first step you take. Go to the... Per, that's, you know what? That's a whole nother sermon. <laughs> but Jesus gives us a formula on what to do. Now, in giving the formula, he does not say, oh, and when you work the formula, it always works. As a matter of fact, I love a passage in Romans 12. It says, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all people. I, I love the phrase, so far as it depends upon you. Folks, you can't make somebody else be at peace. 
You can't make somebody else do the right thing. God acknowledges that, knows that. And, and so while we're given a formula, that doesn't mean the other person will always do what they're supposed to do. Okay, so there's, there's no promise of that. But we're going to see, especially as we come back next week, okay, where do we draw lines? How, how, how are we bring about consequences? Those kinds of things. Now, it's in this discussion. I, I just said all that to lead up to why Peter is in the back of the room raising his hand. Okay, all that comes before and introduces Peter asking the question that, by the way, don't, don't we all want to know the answer to? Lord, how many times am I supposed to forgive him? I mean, Lord, if I work your formula and it works, everybody kisses and makes up and they do it again. And, and I know they're going to do it again. How many times do I have to forgive them? And he, and he throws out a number. Now, when Peter throws that number out, he didn't just grab something in space. There's previous discussions. There's already some stuff out there working on how many times. Like, for instance, the Pharisees, they had a standard of how many times to forgive somebody. It wasn't something they got out of the Bible. Out of the Bible is this command to forgive, and, and the Pharisees are helping a congregation know what to do. And say, okay, here's what you're supposed to do. You were to forgive somebody twice. Two times. That was the, the pharisaical standard. Now, don't we all want to know, not only have we done what we're supposed to, but don't we like to, especially when we're telling others, I've done, I've done more than was expected of me. I've gone above and beyond. Well, the Pharisees had an answer for that too. The standard is twice, one more time for a total of three. When you do it three times, then you can say when you're gossiping and lying about that person, I have done more. Than is required of me. Now you shouldn't be gossiping and lying. The Pharisees didn't say that. But, but, but then you can feel like, okay, I've done what's required. I've done more than is required. So when Peter throws that number out, he knows the three is already on the table. That's already been a discussion. Of course, G Peter also knows that Jesus has taught we're to exceed the righteousness of the Pharisees. Okay, so Peter's thinking, okay, I know three's out there. I know I should probably go more than that. Ah, what if I double it and add one? I mean, seven's the perfect number, right? I tell you what, Jesus is going to be impressed with me. He really is. He said, guys, you know what? Why can't y'all be like Randy? Randy's so good. Randy, I love you. I know you don't have to forgive them seven times. Come on. Was that what Peter was thinking? I, I, I don't know. I don't know if, that, that Peter, if that's what, how Peter was thinking. But I'll tell you what, whatever he was thinking, I bet he was shocked by the answer. No, 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 not seven. Here it comes. He's only going to say five. <laughs> no, not seven. Seventy-seven. Now, folks, again, just to hear the word forgive brings somebody to mind. And then to hear Jesus saying, I want you to forgive that person 77 times. If they commit that same act of aggression and offense and lie about you and then come say they're sorry, you're to forgive them 77 times. You've lost your mind, God. What, is, what does that even mean? Can I, am I done at 78? Because I think 76 was yesterday. At 78, am I done? Now, let me say something about that number. As a matter of fact, in the translation I read, I used... 77. I'll bet some of you out there, does your translation say 70 times 7? How many? Yeah, quite a few. Okay? You've got a big body of manuscripts, and then translations use those manuscripts and interpret and give us a, a Bible. Tremendous agreement. Tremendous. We have a handful, just a handful, where, boy, we don't know quite how to interpret that. And we've got a set of manuscripts that say, no, it's 70 times 7. And another set that is, is 77. Oh, is, is there an error? Does that mean we can't trust it? No, not at all. 
We know why we're interpreting it the way we do. And here's the beauty of this, folks. It doesn't change the interpretation, whatever it is. Whether it's 77 or whether it's 490, the interpretation is the same. I'll get to that in about three seconds. I do like 77, and here's why. I think it fits the context. There was a Jewish idiom where they would use the word 77 to say, I've done something a lot of times. You and I don't use 77. If we're trying to communicate something, we've done a whole bunch. We say stuff like 100 or 1,000, right? If I told man, I, I, I've called them 100 times. Now, when I say that, do you really think I went 97, 98? No, you, you know I don't mean that literally. That's just saying, I've called them all... That's the way a Jew in the first century would say, I, I doubt they said I called them, but you know what I mean. They would say, I've done that 77. Well, see, I think that idiom, I think that fits the context. Because what Jesus is saying here, whether the number is 77 or 490, we're not counting. We're not keeping record. The issue is not the number. We continue to forgive. At which point, we again say, God, you have lost your mind. And knowing, knowing that we can't quite process that kind of command into our lives, J Jesus just immediately moves into a story. What, what, what is the basis by which I, the Son of God, could tell you, you forgive and you forgive and you forgive and you're not keeping a tally, you're not keeping a total, you just keep forgiving. And he begins to tell us a story about this king. A king who calls servants in to, to settle accounts. Kings can do that, right? As a matter of fact, folks, you and I should probably live every day of our lives knowing the king will do that. He will call your life and my life in to give an account. And so the king's calling these servants in and, and next guy in line steps up and this guy owes him 10,000 talents. Now that would have been a number that, that if Jesus was here telling the story, we, we wouldn't even be able to process that number. I can define 10,000 and I can define talents, but, but I can't even process what that number means. 10,000 was the largest number in the Greek language at that time. They did not have a word. They, they did not have a vocabulary word for the word million. They didn't have a word for the word billion or, or, or trillion. They did, the largest was 10,000. If they were expressing something beyond that, they would say 10,000 plus or 10,000 times 10,000 or myriads upon myriads. But that was it, 10,000. So Jesus has just used their largest mathematical vocabulary word and he has tied it to a talent. Now a talent was the largest denomination of currency in the Greco-Roman world. So for him to say 10,000 talents... I mean, probably the first question somebody listening to the story would have had was, how could the guy possibly get in that? How can you get that much debt? How, how can you? It, it almost doesn't even sound real that that much debt is possible for, for the average working Joe over here. 10,000, you know, probably for us, it'd be like saying a trillion dollars. We know what, we know what a trillion is. We can write it on a piece of paper, but most of us we really can't get our arms around a trillion. Millionaires, we understand millionaires. We understand companies make billions of dollars. But when you start saying trillion, we know the word, but we what's, a, what's a trillion apples? What would that look like? You know, we really can't process that number. We would say, how, can, how could one of us even get a trillion dollars? And how's that even possible? That's what this guy owes. And, and, and so no surprise, guess what? He can't pay it off. He can't do it. The king says, all right, have him, have him arrested, sell him, sell his family, sell all of his stuff, put him in prison till it's settled. 
Well, the guy begins to beg and plead as, as, as any of us would. And he makes this ridiculous promise. I will pay it off. No, you won't. You couldn't pay it off in a hundred lifetimes. You know what's interesting, folks? Just to hang on that just for a second. You know what the sad thing is? Religion teaches us that. I'm going to pay God off. By, by, by doing this set of duties, by jumping through these hoops, by doing these rituals. I'm, I, folks, you can't pay it off. You're not doing anything to even the score. But this guy makes that promise. I'll pay it off. Now, as the king is watching him, it says there he feels pity. That the king doesn't owe him a second chance. The king doesn't even owe him the opportunity to, to explain himself. He doesn't even owe him the opportunity to, to beg for a chance. But it says that the, the king feels pity and he forgives him. Do you understand what that means? It doesn't mean he gave him a second chance. It doesn't mean he cut the debt in half. It doesn't mean he said, okay, go out there and work on this more. He forgave him. As the guy walked out, he owed nothing ever. Zero. Not a nick, nine. Whatever language you speak, he owes nothing. You think that felt pretty good? You think, I mean, I wonder if I, let's take to make this real. What if I could, and I bet y'all would let me, if I could just wave my arm and instantly your mortgage, your car payment, th that health bill, th the student loans, the credit is gone. Zero. You owe nothing. You walk through that door, you owe nothing. <laughs> I don't even have to ask for a response. Yeah, sign me up for that. Right here, right now. Would you enjoy that? Yeah, yeah I, yeah, I would enjoy that. Okay, then let me ask you a question. Did the guy in the story enjoy it? Almost sounds like a stupid question, doesn't it? Did he enjoy what was done for him? I'm, I'm going to say no. He didn't enjoy it, as is proved by what he does next. Folks, here's a big part of where I'm going today, okay? You want to get this line. The story seems to suggest that you and I can be given forgiveness and not receive it. Those two things can happen at the same time. The king's offer was genuine and real. God's offer is genuine and real. God has the authority to forgive you. And when God forgives, he's not just waving his arms saying, okay, I'm just, I'm just going to pretend like it never happened. No, Christ went to the cross, actually paid our debt, right? It is upon the basis of Jesus paying for it that God forgives you and I. The offer of forgiveness is very real. It is very genuine. We can be given it and not really receive it. I think there's a couple of reasons we don't really receive it. Number one, we don't trust the person giving the forgiveness. I know that king. He set me up. I don't know who he was trying to impress in the room when he said you're forgiven the debt. But it, I, he, I'm telling you, he's setting me up. He's going to get me somewhere. So I've got to go out of here and figure out how to lay my hands on some cash. Or another reason we don't really receive it is we take it. I mean, it looked to everybody like I took the gift. I, I, I did the same things other people do who received the gift. I, I got baptized. I said I've prayed the sinner's prayer. I've, I've done these things that look like I've received the gift. But then, as I said a moment ago, but then it, a lot of us pick up religion as a way of paying God back. Oh, I know I've been given this, but now I'm going to pay it back. You know what? I don't think we say that statement in our mind. But folks, we have this kind of, I want to keep it even, Stephen, right? You know, you gave me a gift. Oh, that's wonderful. Thank you so much. And I received the gift. But I'm going to give you a gift now so that we're even. 
You did a favor for me, I'm going to do a favor for you. We're going to keep things even. We don't like being beholden to people. Folks, do you realize there's an incredible amount of humility involved in receiving forgiveness? I mean, it is. I am beholden to your goodness. I'm, I'm beholden to your kindness. You could have, maybe should have brought about some greater consequences. There's humility in that. And a lot of us, I think, can actually receive. It looks like to everybody that we're taking this gift from God, but then we pick up religion and we are trying to work it off. We're trying to pay it back. As a matter of fact, I think sometimes we even get in the mindset that not only have we even the score, but God now owes us. Can you imagine that? But isn't that what we do in our bargaining with God? Okay, God, I went to church this morning and I put some money in the plate and I said a prayer, so I really need you now to do this tomorrow. You know what I just said? I said, God, you owe me. I've done my part. I did all of these things. And so now I'm expecting you. Folks, that's a statement of saying, God, you're indebted to me now. And that's why it's real important we understand this story, the amount of debt there is and that it can never be paid off. But he leaves there. Whatever the reason that first servant leaves there, he's got to get his hands on some cash and he sees that guy owes him 100 denarii. I think it's important to understand that, that, that amount of money. Because I've heard people, I think wrongly, use this to say, oh, look at the itty-bitty amount that these two people owed you. Look at this massive amount that God forgave you of. And it almost implies that the, the, the sins we have against each other, the offenses aren't really significant. They, they don't really count. That is not what Jesus is teaching here. He, he's not teaching that your debt is so big and everybody else's debt against each other is insignificant, though there is a partial truth to that. But a hundred denarii, when Jesus says he saw someone owed him a hundred denarii, a denarii was a day's wage. So he just said this guy owed him a hundred days wage. Now let's just do the math on that. Okay, we work what, five days a week? That's 20 weeks of wages. Now, th this is, this is a, a servant. This is your, your average working guy. I don't know what the average salary is in America. I suppose we could Google it and find out. Let's just say for easy math that it's 50000 Okay, if, if the average wage earner is making 50000 a year, then, then according to this story, as he looked across, that guy owed him $21,000, $22,000. That's a significant amount of money, isn't it? I'm betting if somebody owed you $22,000, you'd be thinking about it right now. And if you thought they weren't paying you back, you'd really be thinking about it right now. That's a significant amount. Jesus, as he tells the story, does not pick an amount that suggests that our offenses against each other are small and, insignif small and insignificant. That's not what he's doing here. And yet, we do measure... The offenses we have with each other against what God has been and done for us. But this first slave doesn't do that, does he? No, he grabs him by the neck. He won't listen to him. If you got your Bible open, you still should. Look at verse 26 and 29. Do you notice that servant number two uses the exact same words as servant number one? Seems like servant one number one would have gone, you know, I feel like I've just heard this. <laughs> yes, you said it. You said that. And yet he doesn't hear it. I mean, the way Jesus is telling the story, folks, is meant 
to enrage the audience. And it certainly enrages the fictional audience in the story. Man, they see what servant number one is doing to servant number two. They fly straight away to the king, tell him what's happened. The king hauls the guy back in there and asks him the question of the hour. How could you not do for somebody else what had been done for you? And did you notice the king doesn't even pause for air before he goes on and issues the punishment? In other words, it's one of those questions, it ain't no question. It may sound like a question, but it's a statement. And Jesus says that the king reinstitutes the punishment and he goes to prison. And then Jesus very uncomfortably tidies up the story by saying, oh yeah, this story isn't made up. The king is God and you are the fellow slaves. And God will throw you in the prisonment it throw you into the prison of your guilt and your anger and it will kill your life. It will make your life miserable if you do not do for others what God has done for you. A, a story I think at best is very uncomfortable. Oh, I mean, it's wonderful. It's wonderful to hear how lavish and how rich and how great God is in his forgiveness toward us. But it appears that his severity is just as great for those who do not do the same. And you know, to that, I think we offer the Lord a thousand butts. But that's not fair. But it hurt. But their crime is greater than any crime I've committed against you. But they won't change. But they haven't said they're sorry. But, 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 but. And I think, too, that God only offers one but. But I was rich in mercy and love for you. Now, folks, let me back up here as we say God is rich in mercy. Because the way Jesus communicates this, if we're not careful, we'll read this real quickly. And it almost sounds as if God's forgiveness is conditional. That God will forgive you if you forgive others. As a matter of fact, not only this story, I could take you to a handful of other places in the Gospels where Jesus says something very similar. And it sounds like he's saying, if you want to be forgiven, you have to forgive. So in other words, we're working for our forgiveness. That's not what he's saying. As a matter of fact, go back to our story. What was the condition upon which the king forgave the slave? None. There was no condition. The, the, the basis by which the forgiveness came was pity, compassion. It, it started within the king's character. It was based on the king's character that he gave that. Jesus is not teaching here that forgiveness is conditioned upon forgiving. What Jesus is doing is showing the relationship between giving and receiving. We give that which we've received. If we cannot give it, it's quite possible it's because We've never received it. You see that? Now, folks, we're going to come back next week. Man, this, this is a message, I think. I'm almost done. I'm, I feel like I'm leaving us in a tremendous amount of tension. I mean, help me out here. I, but I, I'm going to hell if I don't forgive. God's not forgiving if I don't forgive. And I, I can't. I struggle. I've tried. It, it won't happen. We're going to come back next week, and we're going to look at a, a variety of passages and deal with the, well, what about this situation? What about here? Consequences, drawing lines, how-tos. What, we're going to look at all that. You know, I think part of our problem is we don't want to give forgiveness because it seems like then we're opening the door to be hurt all over again, Right? If I give forgiveness, it enables them to keep right on doing that. 
Folks, that's ridiculous. That is not what biblical love, that's not what biblical forgiveness does any more than God's forgiveness of us frees us up to keep right on sinning and and offending God. No, God does not forgive to make it comfortable and easy for us to go right on sinning. That's not what's happening. But folks, before we look at the whatabouts and the how-tos, before we wrestle with that, we have to wrestle with the big idea. If we hear the word forgive and we're running to run immediately to the exception, we're wanting to run immediately to the way out and the, well, how about this? Well, what about, if that's where we're going first, you're ultimately going to talk yourself out of this assignment. And you're going to miss what God has for you in it. We are a people of forgiveness. That means they keep coming and saying they're sorry, and that means we keep forgiving. Just like we, I mean, almost you could use the word beg God to do for us. Day in and day out, we go to God and and we say, I'm sorry for this and I'm sorry for that. You know, I would love to say that every time I said I was sorry to God and asked for His forgiveness, it was for a brand new sin, but it's not. I, I have sins, plural, In my life that I, I mean, if you were actually trying to make a real number out of what, yes, 77 times I've I've told God I was sorry for that. I wasn't going to do it again. First time, (laughs) second time back in there saying the same thing. 490 times. So have you. I can say that in front of you and I'm not too worried about what you think because you got your own 490 times. Matter of fact, you want to know something really sad, folks, that we don't even consider? The, The 490 times I've said, that's the ones I know about the ones I tend to think on. Reality is, you and I have got sins in our life we should have said we're sorry for 490 times. We haven't said our sorry once. We don't even consider it a sin. We don't even think about it. We have no concept of the amount of our indebtedness to God. No concept at all. That's why Jesus said 10,000 talents. You, you, You can't even get your arm around the kind of debt you have to God. And yet we anticipating Him forgiving us every time we ask for it, don't we? Relying, clinging to, and holding on to the cross of Jesus Christ. You know, I can't help but imagine somebody right now is looking at their bulletin going, I thought this was on enjoying forgiveness. There's no joy in this. This is about the hard command of forgiving. You know what, folks, if you've been forgiven, you don't need a lesson on enjoyment, do you? Nobody has to be... Remember about me waving my arms and your mortgage and your car payments and all, all... It's all gone. If I could do that right here, right now, would I need to invite you back to a class at 2 o'clock where I tell you three steps of how to enjoy what's just been done for you? No, of course. You don't need anybody to tell you. You're going to enjoy it. And you know what's going to flow out of what's happened to you? Graciousness. Gratitude kindness toward you can't help it not not when that kind of thing has happened it just it just overflows out see there's a relationship between giving and receiving it says in the gospel or, or the uh, the letter from john says that beloved let us love one another and folks you can you can take out the word love and put forgive because they go hand in hand don't they if you're going to love somebody you're going to have to forgive somebody and i wish it was just somebody But we can go through the New Testament and see we're pretty much supposed to be aiming at loving everybody, aren't we? Let us love one another, for love is from God. It's just who He is. It's what He's like. 
And his followers are going to seek to be like him. And whoever loves has been. And how do I know if I've been born again? How do I know if I'm really a child of God? Whoever loves, not like in a good feeling or like the world shows, but in a biblical way, like God loves. Whoever loves and has been born of God knows God. Anyone who does not love, who does not forgive, does not know God. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother... If anyone comes in here and says, oh, I love the Lord and we sing praise songs to him and how good and wonderful he is and we go home and we step right back in line with our unforgiving and and hateful spirit toward that person, toward that situation. That's pretty tough, isn't it? That, That might even seem to suggest that a significant portion of us that believe ourselves to be Christians are not. We're not, we're not born again. We're not a child. We may look like it to everybody around us. We may have done all the stuff that, that born again people do. But if... Is it, is, it, is it possible to be genuinely saved and, and still struggle with, with hate and unforgiveness? I, I want to say yes. And I sure don't want to sound like I'm contradicting God's word. I, w- I would use this passage, I would use a variety of New Testament passages, and I would say, yes, it, it, it is possible. But if you're that person, I would really challenge you to get alone with God and a mirror. And explain to yourself why you're counting on a saving faith, a genuine faith, that has not produced what a genuine faith produces. Let's pray. Father, I want to ask for your help, for myself, for all of us, to trust that you are good and that you are loving. Because, Lord, I know you know everything. You, you know how that person has hurt us. You, you know that, that singular, great, horrific event. You, you know the person, the hurt, it just goes on and it goes on and it goes on and it goes on. You know that. And yet you would tell us to forgive. So I, I need help trusting that you, you know what you're talking about. And that you're being loving and kind to me when you tell me to forgive that person. And Lord, I pray, I pray for the person in here, Lord, who with all their heart believes they're a Christian and yet their life is defined very much by anger, by hatred, by unforgiveness. Lord, help them, help us to see that the basis for forgiving somebody is, is based on what's happened in our lives. And if we can't do it, we need to really measure whether that's actually happened in our lives. Help us to get past measuring whether we're good, whether people think we're good, whether we're religious and a good church. But help us to really measure what First John 4 just talked about, whether we've really been born of God and know Him. Lord, I, I pray to realize until we come to genuine faith in You, genuine life in You, we don't have the ability to forgive. Lord, help us to hold on till next week. I, know the pastor up there saying he's going to 
try to answer some of this, Lord. I know some of us, man, we're carrying it right now. Right now we're carrying it. We need your help. And Lord, I close this prayer by saying, I do believe you're good. I do believe you're in control. I do believe you know what you're talking about. And I do believe you have me, not the other person, you have me in mind when you say forgive them. It's in Jesus' name we ask for your help. Amen.